Welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast, a weekly show about all things engineering, DIY projects, manufacturing, industry news, and component catalog cutting. We're your hosts, electrical engineers, Stephen Craig. And Parker Doman. This is episode 334. So before we jump right into the podcast, um, if you're looking for a job, you just got out of college, macfab.com slash jobs. Go apply. There's a bunch available. Okay, so um, two weeks ago, I ordered the PCBs for Project Snacky, which is the snack machine I am hacking. I'm basically replacing the entire like control circuit board. Um, they arrived yesterday, and all my parts arrived yesterday, like on the same day. I got all the parts in. Wow, amazing. Well, okay, actually, before we go a little bit further, for those who haven't been uh, been listening or, or catching up, just give a quick overview of what is Project Snacky as much as you can tell, because I know there's stuff you can't. Yeah, there's some stuff I can't say, but Project Snacky is a snack machine that we want to, I say we, this is the Anhalt XOR group, um, want to control how it vends and all that good stuff. And so... Um, instead of like hacking the control board that's already in the snack machine, I decided to just replace all the semiconductor circuitry, all of it, um, from the ground up. Um, and I, I, by the way, I absolutely love, oh, this is one of the best parts about being an engineer is that not only like the first step you took where it's like, I'm going to buy a vending machine and then I'm going to hack it. That's already past like 99% of people. And then you were like, this is not sufficient. I'm just going to do it myself. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I think it was a couple of podcasts ago um, where I explained my journey to try to figure out how the original board worked. Cause I wanted to just like remove the ASIC controller that was on it. It has like a ASIC microcontroller on it. Um, I just wanted to remove that and then put my own microcontroller that I could just easily program into there. But I needed a schematic and um, I could not find one of this board at all. Even going through like FCC documents and everything and then went down this giant rabbit hole of who owns who in the vending machine world, which is like insane. To, like <laughs> big, big vend. Yeah, big vend. Um no, a big snack. <laughs> a big snack. <laughs> oh man. Um. And so, and then I was like, "Oh, I'll just like reverse engineer the board." And the first thing I was like, "Okay, let's figure out how motor control works." Because it's got a high side and low side driver, and it's just a big old matrix. Um. And I'm like, "Okay, where does the clock line? Because these the how the." chips worked on the board they're like serialized like drivers um and so i'm like okay let's follow the clock line and then the clock line went through like like an inverter chip like four times like loop back and forth and i'm like there's no way i'm gonna figure out how this board works because <laughs> i'm like why is the clock line going away from the asic through this inverter and then go somewhere else on the board. I'm like, hey, whatever. I'm not even going to worry about this. It was easier to just design my own board. So here's the board. I'll take pictures for the pod, uh, podcast posts for those that are listening in audio land. And so my board is nice and purple from Osh Park. It's a pretty big board. What is that? Like 10 inches by four? 11 five by four and a half. I, I was close. Yeah. It's almost as big as the Pentatar. It has two Arduino Megas on it. Yeah, so there's a there's a reason for that. Um, because of how we wanted to do the separation of, in the programming, um, because this might be something people can hack, um, we wanted to have separate, basically, cores to handle that. And I actually was thinking about using like a parallax propeller and just have separate cores that way oh, uh, inside the propeller yeah, yeah. propeller is probably hard to hack right um well we wanted to like allow people oh gotcha yeah yeah, yeah. and so we wanted some really good con access control on like what sides of the hardware you can get access to and so that's why 
Um, so and so if you compare it to the original board, I mean, one's not populated yet, but there you go. Yeah. So what I did right is, about is yeah, well, I put all the connectors in the same spot that I need as well. So like the keypad connector and the motor controllers and all that good stuff. And so uh, tomorrow I'm going to um, put it through the paste jetter and uh, place all the ST parts and just slap it in the oven. You're going to place everything by hand, right? Yeah, it's going to place it by hand. I mean, it's, there's, not it, there's not a ton of parts on it, right? No, it's not too bad. Yeah. Um, it's less than 100 parts. And then um, I did make sure all the through hole components fit. That was like the first thing I did because, like, most of the components on there that are new like new footprints I've done were through hole. Like all the SMT stuff, I'm like, oh yeah, I already have a part that does that. Um, so I was able to just like, you know, pull those out of my library. But um, the through hole parts, especially like the power supply stuff, because I don't do a lot of AC to DC like rectifying in any of my designs. So I'm like, okay, got to design a rectifier. I've got to design bigger capacitors to handle the ripple. I've got it. Yeah, all that stuff. So got that all designed. Everything fit. Um, yeah. And you, and you have a little bit of a, a wager going on, right? Yeah. So I have a wager with the rest of the team that is, uh, if it, if it works the first revision, then, uh, I, they, uh, they have to buy the first or a zap basically on the team has to buy the round of beers first. And if, if it doesn't work, then I buy the round of beers. When you say round of beers, is it round for the whole team? Just or round just for you, round for the whole team. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, nice. So I lost that one, that bet last time. I don't. <laughs> what was it? What was it for? I bet you that it wouldn't work out perfectly, and your board did. That was years ago, back when we were in. That the was bomb years shelter. ago. Yeah, it was down in the bomb shelter, and the we announced that I won the wager on the first idea um, tank idea tank podcast, and they brought Zimas. <laughs> Um, it counted. <laughs> it did count. Oh man, what board was that? I can't remember what board that was. It was so, yeah, it was some board. I don't yeah, I don't remember, but it did end up working flawlessly. Yeah. And then we did end up having to put wire mods on it, but it was because we wanted to add more features. So. Yeah, that does that it, when okay, so if you ever make a wager of these kinds of things, you have to you have to define what the wager is because with with complex systems like this, it's so easy to justify that something is working when it isn't or the other yeah. way around. <laughs> yes. I actually just finished a board um, the other day and I, and I was building up it. Everything was perfect. It all fits. Everything soldered up well. And then I go to uh, connect it to chassis and I'm like, where's, Where's my chassis ground connection? And I realized I didn't put a chassis ground connection on the board. Oh no! I mean, luckily, I mean it's a prototype, so I was able to just solder a wire to a convenient ground spot. But it's like, ah, I guess I would have failed. Yeah. I, or maybe I didn't. If you if you could argue about not needing a chassis ground connection. <laughs> I can't remember what that board was. Yeah, I I don't remember either. It, that was I mean, that was a long time ago. That was so. two thousand and it's episode seventy seven. Was the first idea tank podcast? So that's that how long been ago. Seventeen, two thousand seventeen. Yeah, somewhere around there. Yeah, it had to have been two thousand seventeen because well, when was Harvey? Was that eighteen? Uh, no, that was seventeen, wasn't 17. it? Seventeen. Yeah, yeah, that was two thousand seventeen. So that would have been a little bit before Harvey. So yeah, that was that was probably two thousand seventeen sometime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't remember what board you were making then. I wonder if it was something like the old Pinheck. Uh, it, I bet you it was. Or either that or it was potentially something for a client, like a test jig or something like that. Yeah, it could have been too. I bet you someone, one of our listeners probably remembers though. Man, I, looking back, those those were fun days. We were cranking out boards all the time. Uh yeah. Back back in those days, I mean, you guys probably still are now, but you're uh, talking about at Macrofab? at the fab at the fab. oh yeah, like, you and I were cranking out boards for our own personal projects. We were cranking out boards together for the podcast, and yeah. we were cranking out stuff for uh, uh, for clients and things. Like, I'm actually kind of surprised at how much we did. 
Yeah, the well, what happened was, um, I started working on pinball like Pinatar, which takes a lot of time, and then you have your own side, basically side gig too now. Yeah, and then uh, and you can't really talk about boards that you make for WMD like designs. Um, right. so it, it gets kind of weird. Yeah, the, the amount uh, I've been trying really, really, really hard to not take on more projects because I've got, I've got my business that I'm trying to get off uh, the ground, and that is, I've just been like really, really hyper focused on. If I have spare time, I don't spend it on you know whatever looks fun on Hackaday, as <laughs> I used to do. I, and and like I mean that's not a bad thing. I'm not I'm not dogging that. I'm saying I really want to do those things. I'm just trying to be really diligent and stay on on focus with with stuff. And mm-hmm. uh, even though like you know that's only fun half the time. So, uh, the other half of the time it just feels like freaking work. But uh, yeah. But I mean, you know, that's what you do, you know? I, I mean, yeah, I've been in that mode too, is is looking at all my, the big old list of in-process projects and being like, that list can't go bigger. Yeah, yeah. And and this year alone, I, I scraped two really old projects off the list that I've been wanting to do. And uh, those are those are pretty nasty. I did look at the SSPS the other day. And frankly, I, I, I did because it's on the ground in my garage. Rats uh, scurrying all over it, and there's like moss <laughs> growing on the side, something like that. It, it, I mean, it actually, surprisingly, still looks good. Uh, it, I mean, it's, oh, yeah. we never actually milled the faceplate. I don't think. Uh, no, we never did. But now we have some. It was a nice. That was a nice rack mount case we got, and the faceplate is like, I don't know, a quarter of an inch steel. thick. Yeah, no, it yeah. was thick. It was real thick. Yeah, <clears throat> I was, I was thinking about it. Okay. Random side side topic on the SSPS. I was thinking about it in terms of uh, I might have this wrong, but like a Class G style amplifier, which is a uh, it's either Class H or Class G. I, I don't remember. Uh, one that as the signal increases, the power supplies actually it it engages different power supplies in to supply hmm. more or less power so in other words like if you're operating at really low voltages it'll only have like 12 volts running but as soon as it crosses 12 volts it adds an additional like 40 or it'll or you know in a lot of cases they have them more uh what is it um uh consistent like like 40 80 you know 100 so they have steps yeah so it has steps so you don't over dissipate all the time so basically if you have a one volt signal out you're not burning 119 volts yeah to uh, drop down to drop down and i was thinking uh, like something that's a little bit more progressive like that from the ssps could actually be a really cool addition to make it not just burn boatloads of heat like we had it before i mean we were going to go uh water cooled with it with just how much heat we're going to have to deal with you know i would i would absolutely love i've mentioned this before but if somebody out there is is interested i would be willing to put a little bit of effort in if 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 the community the macfeb engineering podcast community would like to build the ssps not just parker and i i'm just saying like if the community would like to come together and like make the schematic help make the boards and like test it and maybe even some other people build it i would love to do that i would absolutely devote some time into that so if the community is interested hit us up on slack uh, macfab.com slash slack uh join up and i would i would love to resurrect the ssps just uh with the help of the whole community that yeah we got cool. dust off the uh the spec doc <laughs> i've almost basically created a new one <laughs> yeah we're basically creating a new spec doc in honor of the original one though like, I think it has to still be a linear style power supply. Oh yeah, I don't, I don't want to do any kind of SSPS. Oh, sorry, yeah, yeah, uh, SMPS. Um, I want to do the SSPS. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, that 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 would be cool. So if anyone is interested in making, actually, it would be really cool if we had like a MEP branded power supply that a bunch of people built, and like that's your personal lab supply, but it's yeah. like it's not like a zero to 20 volt one amp supply it's like a 
zero to two hundred volt ten amp supply or whatever. Ten amp supply. We'd originally said yeah. so. Sorry, that was a super big tangent. Like, was not expecting on that. No, no, that's cool. So, uh, snacky, you're gonna you're gonna start assembling it tomorrow. Yeah, start assembling it tomorrow, and then I'm thinking basically next week I'll try to make a motor move with it. Um, or maybe tomorrow night. It just depends how how quick I get it assembled. And it's it's the Arduinos that are controlling the actual motors, right? Or just yeah, controlling the pulses going to the motors. Yeah, it, you basically just set whatever leg high and then whatever leg low because uh, it's a matrixed motor uh, setup. So it's um, pretty simple. Yeah, I might actually just try to like hack some quick Arduino code to be like just move, just like set move a certain pin high and just make see if we can make it move. Yeah. Because then it'll be like, okay, good, it works. Now I can do so, the rest of the code. Do those motors have end stops, or do they even need end stops, or are they just spinning the little corkscrew of metal? They spin the corkscrew of metal. So how it works is, um, there's a current sensor, right. and then there's a switch inside the motor that engages and disengages a resistor. So when you get a low pulse of current. That means that your uh, your motor has gone one revolution. So you're looking for like a low, basically a a a, uh, a falling edge in the current. Right, I don't so know you can what know that, how how, me, how much it's rotated, basically. Yes, yeah. So you basically see a low current pull, a, a dropping edge pulse every rotation. So right. you go, you rotate, find the low pulse, stop. And then when you bend again, you spin it back up and then look for another low pulse. Hmm. It's pretty easy. I hope. And and are you using the original keypad on the front? I am using the original keypad. Did you? That's actually the first thing I get working. Hmm? Oh, so you already have that working? Oh yeah, I got that working like the first day. I just wrote some quick Arduino code and just like hooked up a, a Arduino Mega to it and with some jumper wires and got that working. Oh, nice. So you can press the keys and it just dumps onto a serial terminal. <laughs> oh, so it's just serial communication? That's it? It has. It, I, we're actually using a, um, uh, a Pi Visa. So the, Wait, is uh, it a separate board that you created for the keypad? No, no, no. Oh, okay, okay. No, I'm talking about how Snacky communicates to, let's say, a computer... Because mm. um, it has two Arduino Megas. One's, one is called the input one, and one's called the output one. So if it's an output function, it goes through that Arduino. If it's an input function, it goes through the other one. We could do all of it in one, but we didn't want to do that. We wanted to have separation of comm channels, basically. And both the Arduinos communicate to each other. No, they don't. They communicate they don't. to a host computer. Oh, um, and that's why I guess we if you're two. trying to hack Snacky, this is the podcast to listen to. Yeah, so that's why we wanted to have two COM ports, and so that we could have basically separation of duties on the COM ports, so we don't have to really worry about like uh, buffers or anything like that, like anything communication issues. You're making um, it easy. <laughs> yeah, making it easy because we can. Yeah. The um, as I say, as we're basically redesigning the entire snack machine control board well, you're um, making aspects of it easy yeah aspects as much as we can at least yeah um but it, it communicates with skippy so both of them both of the boards have skip will have skip run skippy on them so that which is like the control uh style for interpretational controls for like oscilloscopes and multimeters and so that's that's an interesting thing called a pick to pick well, for for a snack machine, why would you pick Skippy for like its instrumentation protocol? Because it's I I have a library off shelf that will just work. <laughs> right, right, right. Once and again, written, you're making it easy. <laughs> and I've already written like the Python side that handles all that well. Right. So why not? Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's that's great. Yeah. Yeah, easy. Man, I, I, I you. The months ago, I wrote some Python code to go and do data gathering for me. And uh, we were mentioning engineers, you know, will spend 15 hours to save one kind of thing. And uh, and just the other day, 
I I finally finished like the last little segment, which which was funny because I did all of this Python code to dump all this data out. And and still every week I had to do about 10, maybe 15 minutes of like a little bit of data massaging just to get it the way I wanted it to. And then after that, I wasn't able to adjust my data to be able to say like, oh, if I want to see my data between these two dates or anything like that. It was mm -hmm. always like you get all or none. I just changed that the yesterday. I just got it all working. <laughs> Where like now, like if someone like comes up to me and is like, I want to see data, I want to see this information from this department between these two dates, I can just, you know, type a few things and it just pops up and it's like, ah, like it feels right, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's no, there's no uh, manual control anymore. Uh, right, right. Yeah. If if there was manual control, that would be somebody's full time job all day, every day, to yeah. do what my script does in you know, sometimes. You know what the next step is? Ooh, what's that? Hooking predictions? it up to <laughs> yeah, predictions. No, hooking it up to uh, like Amazon Echo. Yeah. So the Pringles can can tell you information. Yeah. So you can ask it. I want to know this date from this date. Of this information, and it goes, let me get you that for you, and then corpse uh, out okay. what it is. That's a that's a little that's a little too much. I mean, frankly, I did all this work for our management meeting, which is once a week. <laughs> so uh, mainly just because I hated going getting the data I, to present. <laughs> I just want I want a script to go and do it. Just take care I'll of just it. Just go me. get it for get everything. I have too many other things to worry about. So that's Project Snacky. Hopefully next week I have like really good news that it's all working. Also check it's out the fine. images because Parker put a bunch of Easter eggs all over. The, uh, oh yeah, the there's PC. a bunch. Of, no one will see this board except now, basically. It goes I mean, inside the sack machine. Yeah, yeah, right. So you've already posted a few pictures. I guess you said there'll be some in the in the blog post for this episode. So yeah, for sure. So the other week, <clears throat> I got an email from my boss saying, uh, hey, you know, check this document out. I just got sent from, I think it was Mauser who sent it. Somebody, uh, it was a it was a obsolescence document from Nichicon. It was a which, never good. No, no. Well, I, I mean, sometimes they're just like, okay, whatever. You're telling me that some part I bought five years ago is going oh, yeah. obsolete. Like occasionally I get those. I'm like, cool, thanks. Uh, but this one uh, feels a little bit more like Nichicon, like press the nuke button and uh, and and hit some uh, hit hit some stuff that's near and dear to my heart. Some parts, <laughs> actually, it's probably parts that I would not be surprised if you, as the listener, if you've used these before. Uh, so, Nichicon is, is fine gold. Fine, fine gold is protected. Uh, it's fine. Like, fine gold will never go. Yeah, like after the apocalypse, there will still be fine gold caps, right? <laughs> the uh, actually, I, th I think that is kind of funny. They're not obsoleting fine gold caps, and and for those who you know are perhaps new listeners, we've been joking about that since like day one. Yeah. Uh, that that Nichicon makes fine gold audio capacitors, which are just wanky capacitors with a different heat shrink sleeve over them, basically. Yeah, and they're, they're, yeah, they're gold and silver. Yeah, and well, and 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 my 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 prediction here is they're not getting rid of those because they get decent margin on them. Probably, probably. do, yeah. Uh, so so uh, they they released this uh, obsolescence document showing a, a it, there's forty different line items in this document of obsolescence. Eight, well, ten of which are SMD chip style. Uh, well, you said forty, large. forty series of components well and 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 some of them are partial series but but a lot of them are full series of of or yeah. families of components just going to the way of the dodo so the, which the document's 72 pages long <laughs> well and most of it's just part numbers well that's what i'm saying is it's 72 pages of individual part numbers it's like 40 individual like component lines right um so an example, we were right before the podcast, Steve and I were looking at this, and um, one of the big ones is SMT uh, aluminum electrolytic lines. Are A lot of them are, are, I say a lot of them, some of them are going away. So they're removing eight of them and then doing a partial deletion, I guess, on two of them. 
um, and to put that into perspective, they have 43 lines of SMT electrolytic capacitors. So they're getting rid of almost, almost 25%. Yeah. Of their and these lines. these are families that you've probably used before, like UUR, UWJ, UWR, which uh, those are a lot of their standard range, their low impedance ones, and their high reflow temp. Uh, so it's a lot of like the really like jelly bean capacitors, um, mm -hmm. chip style ones, along with a good chunk of through hole. Uh, capacitors especially like uh in fact let me pull up the document right now there's one two three there's four different families upj upm uh a handful of others that they're obsoleting all items above 160 volts so they're they're bigger capacitors just poof gone uh uca which is another just the kind of jelly b one all items from that whole family is gone so uh this all of this mostly is aluminum electrolytic. There's 41 lines that they have in here, uh, 39 of which are aluminum electrolytics, and then two more are um, polymer style, and they're mm -hmm. just <laughs> getting rid of all of those too. So it looks like they, they're dropping a nuke on a bit of the catalog here. Yeah, and you start looking at... Um, like, when I first saw this, I thought, like, is Nick NikiCon, like, getting out of the game? And that's when I looked, I'm like, oh, no, they have like 30 more lines of chip style electrolytics. Um, and they just dropped a new line called the UBH line. And it seems to cover some of what they are getting rid of. But it's like kind of like a grab all because this new line is like high temperature vibration resistance, low temperature ESR. It kind of covers some of what they're getting rid of. But then you look at what else it won't cover, and they already have lines that kind of cover that anyways. Right, right. Well, the, one thing that's interesting is that new UBH line goes all the way up to 150C, negative mm -hmm. 40 to 150, so a bit wider range. But the uh, the voltage range is perhaps a little lower. It's 25 to 35 volts, I think. Is uh, yeah, yeah. That, that's correct. Yeah. So yeah, it's a it's a it's a it's a tad bit different. Their their capacitance range though is a hundred to two hundred and seventy microfarads. So like your one mics or your ten mics uh, aren't in that UBH range. Mm -hmm. So it's it's like it feels like a replacement, but is like partially a replacement. Yeah, as I said, it's a partial replacement. Yeah. Um, but they do have other components that kind of cover. I, what was what do they say though? Like we're not obligated to. <laughs> Uh, on the, on the first, yeah, on the first page, they section two alternate parts. Uh, we are not in a position to be able to offer you identical alternatives. Nevertheless, please feel free to contact Nichicon. Uh, so it's uh, I mean, they have you can look through the catalog. They're not getting rid of uh, options um, in terms of like there are things available. It's just uh, a lot of these series and families that I've used in the past that I've just like, you know, pepper onto my boards because I just know they're there. Uh, mm -hmm. They're going obsolete. And my boss sent this to me because we use a handful of these at work and it's just like, oh, great. Yeah, uh, just another one of these to uh, to deal with, which I, I totally think, not totally think, this has got to be related to supply chain issues. Uh, oh, right for now. sure. Every, everything is, is difficult. Uh, so you know reduce your catalog size like we we just talked about this last week in terms of the capacitor shortage of uh, 2018 um reduce your your catalog size focus on on fewer products and just get them out i think uh, i think that's absolutely what they're trying to do here yeah it's yeah we talked about this a little bit with Cody um last week of uh you know this is basically 2018 capacitor shortage again ceramic capacitor shortage again where all the all, all the players were just like, well, we're not buying new factories or building new lines. How do we meet the demand? Reduce how many shift changes and reduce how many um, product changeovers you're having. So you can just and, just, and limit how much you know skews you have. Um, we're seeing that now with Michigan right now, um, and then 
you know, that was one thing I was mentioning was I bet you we, I wonder who is going to be the first microcontroller company to do that on their line. And I bet you it's going to be microchip. That's my guess. It's got to happen. Yeah. Because, uh, man, microchip, you know, has bought Atmel. And it's like they make competing products. So start reducing. Well, I just I just Googled microchip obsolescence policy. And they say at microchip, we have a 25 year practice of not putting our clients through the pain and cost of redesigning for end of life. We call it client driven obsolescence. And the idea is very simple. We will supply a product as long as there is a customer somewhere who wants it. I'm wondering if they're going to change their tune on that just because yeah. it's it's tough. Yeah. And and again, I mean, you go to all these microcontrollers, their, their websites, and they're like 52 plus weeks out. If you if you need to build your product and let's say you're using a legacy microcontroller, OK, you need to build your product. Are you going to wait 52 weeks or are you just going to redesign for whatever you can get? Yeah, I mean, can can, can your company just uh, survive just paying your salaries while you just wait for that part? Yeah. Probably not, right? Probably so not. You will redesign. Yeah, you'll redesign or, yeah. Um, and uh, so guess what? What's going to happen? All microchip has to do is go, hey, that pick 16 that's been, that we get really crappy margins on, you know, it's got an 84 week lead. And guess what? All those customers are going to redesign those, that, that part. And guess what? In 84 weeks or whenever, there's no one's going to buy them. And they're like, oh, oh, obsolete that now. Hmm. Uh, you know, I wonder if, if I got a, an obsolescence document or, or sheet there or notice that, that said, hey, we're getting rid of this processor. I think it would be nice if if they also provided like, here's a suggested alternative or, or, you know, we we're trying to move everyone who uses this controller to this controller. Uh, that mm-hmm. would give me warm and fuzzies in terms of thinking like, Oh, well, it's potentially going to be more available. That would be a cool idea. Yeah, it would be. You still going to have to like recompile and use different peripherals inside the microcontroller, especially if you're going well, to like yeah. a more modern core. Of course, yeah. But, I mean, if you're redesigning, you're already biting the bullet on all of that. That's true. That's true. Yeah, I, I just think that's just inevitable at this point. I mean, it's uh, it's already been happening. We see it in our Slack channel all the time. Oh, you mean redesigning? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, a lot of our, our customers are redesigning their legacy products. Redesigning um, for things that just a year ago, uh, you didn't think you had to even think about reading. Think about, yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, interesting times, I guess, as an electrical engineer. Like when I was building the design for the Snacky control board, I was literally like adding the parts to my shopping cart at Mauser as I was <laughs> like designing them. Yeah, can I buy this? Can I go buy this? And then, like, at the end of the day, even though I wasn't done with Square, I actually just ordered those parts. So yeah. I made like three or four Mauser orders over a weekend, just so I knew I had those locked in. Yep, yep. Uh, yeah, you pay you pay shipping multiple times, but at the end of the day, like, I got you all my one hundred percent have the parts. I hundred percent have all my parts for my board. Yeah, active progressive design. <laughs> Um, the best thing is, is one of the parts I, I'm so glad I'm not making this production. Um, the best thing is one of the parts is already absolute is already like gone, like poof. Yeah. Yeah. In the marketplace, everything's gone. So I bought like the last bit of it before like someone swooped in and bought a ton. Man, uh, I, I've got a fun, um, Mauser story. I, I got a little bit screwed the other day and it's my own fault, but. It's still, I, I may, oh, my own fault in terms of the old adage of like, you know, I, I made an assumption and, and that was wrong. Ooh. Well, okay. So, you know, we, we talk about Keystone parts fairly regularly on, oh, yeah, uh, on the yeah. podcast, right? So one of the nice, 
benefits of purchasing from Bowser is Keystone, almost all their parts have a just four number part number, right? And almost always you can just drop those four numbers into the search at Mauser and it brings up the part, right? I've been doing that for years now and it works out fine. In fact, I've done it on for for a particular part that I've been buying from Mauser for years now and it's never been a problem. Well, the other day I, I used their bomb upload tool and I uploaded mm-hmm. a bomb and everything checked out because I had you know, previously gone through the bomb and checked everything. Well, one of the parts on this bomb was a keystone part and I didn't look at my shopping cart and I just clicked buy. And what shows up is a bag full of Adafruit parts that are like adapter boards for, I don't know what they, they like, it's, it's a board with two connectors on the sides and lo and behold, Adafruit has the exact same four, numbers as the keystone part mm. and the bomb interpreter at Mauser decided I wanted the Adafruit part and not the keystone. Ad- Adafruit has an A. Probably. I bet K. you it's alphabetical. alphabetical. bet you that's it. Which right? one wins alphabetical? Which is annoying because I've been uploading bombs with this exact same keystone part for a while and I just trusted it and I didn't check my cart. Every other part was fine. I got some Adafruit and of and and it's an Adafruit part, so like I so it was a fuse holder from Keystone versus okay. an Adafruit like adapter board. So without checking, I I realized like this fifty cent part from Keystone, I ended up paying like four dollars a piece for these uh, <laughs> for these Adafruit <laughs> adapter boards. Like damn it! Luckily, I had some extra fuse holders available um, that I could cannibalize off of an old board, um, but. Now the days of being able to just dump in my four uh, digit uh, keystone part, I can't trust that anymore. Can't trust it anymore. Oh, lame. Uh, well, so Nikki NikiCon is the first of the supply chain crunch companies to like ax a ton of their stuff. At least that I know of. That I know of too. Yeah, I I totally expect to see more of this. Yeah, more of it for sure. Okay, um, over the or last week, I had a really weird problem with my my Jeep, my red Jeep, the one that's done in quotes. You know, <laughs> project car, it's never done. Right. Um, and uh, I've been driving it for months now. As my daily driver, everything's been fine. But the Jeep AC was acting really weird. You'd be driving it with AFC, nice blowing cold. And then like the vents, like you'd be on the freeway or whatever, or like going on an on-ramp pretty much. And then the vents would go wacky. Like start blowing in weird directions or not blowing at all. But you can still hear the fan running. And uh, usually that means there's like a vacuum leak. Okay. So like when you're under acceleration... You'd have low vacuum in your engine because it's under load. And um, and on cars of that age, a lot of their... They call it the HVAC system, which doesn't make any sense. It actually says that in the manuals. But that stands for high voltage you know, air conditioning. It's like HVAC, there's no high voltage there. Um, but anyways, the... Uh, um, so it's all it's all actuated with vacuum controls, um, like actuators. Wait, do, I'm sorry. Doesn't HVAC stand for heating, ventilation, and air conditioning? Oh, that could be it. That's correct. Yeah, I don't think it's high voltage. And I'm wrong. Yeah, I think, I think it, I think it still it, it works. It still works. Okay, I'm yeah. wrong. Thank all you good. For fact, thank you for fact checking that one. <laughs> for some reason, I thought it was high voltage. Oh well. Uh, for some reason, I thought it was high volume. High volume. <laughs> um so the uh so i was like okay it's got to be a vacuum leak and i like i like put my vacuum pump on the on the on the uh lines and i was like okay the vacuum leak is coming from some side inside the dash i'm like that's gonna suck um the fix and uh i'm like well let's do the easy one which is like the switch like the mode switch that turns it off and turns it to like circulation blowing in your face blowing on your feet all those kind of things because mm. that's actually like the vacuum switch like it's actually a, 
a fat like like a switch that changes where the vacuum gets pulled from it's kind of crazy to think about that's like a purely analog system um or switch does it have like veins and vents or something like that yeah it's it actually has like i should take a picture of it um it's got a rubber membrane that's got different patterns and as you move that pattern around holes it opens up different passages that's neat yeah so i I should take a picture of it because i've taken one of those apart i think i should have a picture somewhere on my phone already um that also seems like something that wears out yeah, they do wear out, but usually they put like a thin coat of dielectric grease and you're only moving it a little bit right, like right. generally they don't wear out. But I'm like, it's probably worn out, though, because it's 20 plus years old now. Well, also in Houston, it seems like if anything rubber like that, just being baked alive constantly yeah. gets hard, right? Yeah. yeah. And so I'm like, OK, I'll replace it because it's, it's easy to replace because it's like I, you take the the module out and just put a new one in. Boom, done. Mm. I put it in, the new one in, and um, didn't fix the vacuum leak, and everything went wrong with the AC control. Like the AC, <laughs> okay, the fans, the fan, the blower still worked fine, but it wouldn't get cold anymore. What? Yeah, exactly. How does that make sense? Yeah. and so and I'm like, okay, what happened? So like, I put, I'm like, okay, um. What's going on? Because like the 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 discharge line for the AC is still like ice cold. Like you put your hand on it, it's like you can't barely even hold it. How cold it is? Hmm. And I'm like, so that's fine. And I did. I put my gauges on it. And I'm like, okay, good. Was, I didn't somehow miraculously lost all my freon, my gas. And it's not freon anymore, but people still call it that. I, I I didn't magically just lose it all in like the span of thirty minutes from when I was replacing this thing. Like sanity check there. And um, so I'm like, something is up with this new control module I put in. So I took the module apart and um, and basically the temperature control knob is basically a potentiometer and a resistor. And then it just basically goes directly to the blender motor, which is a servo. And it's got its own brain box in there that reads that that knob. So super simple system. Nowadays, it goes to like a body controller and like a bunch of other crazy like calculations get made and goes move that thing a little bit. Right. <laughs> um, back in the day, it was a lot simpler. Even like even before there's like cable control systems, too. But this is this has got I'm some surprised the brain box even has to read the potentiometer. You know, well, it, I wonder, I bet you it works all analog. Actually. I bet you it's analog. Yeah, I bet you it's just like yeah. whatever currents flowing through. Yeah, it probably just has just an op resistance. amp in there. Yeah, probably. Yeah, and just moves the server around. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I pulled it apart and I was comparing the old one to the new one. Okay. The new one had like a 69.2 ohm resistor. The potentiometers were the same. That's incredibly specific. Yeah. The old one had a 16.1K resistor. Okay. So whole order of magnitude off there. Okay. So what happened was, I don't know why, but apparently an entire batch of these modules got made probably that are wrong. And so I just swapped (laughs) the resistor and now it works fine. Basically, the blend door wasn't closing all the way to cold. So it was like halfway open to be like hot and cold. Is there is there a calibration point somewhere? No, there's no calibration. No like trimmer or anything like that? No, 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 no. Not that. Mm. Yeah, it's it's like someone just put the wrong resistor on that board in the at whatever factory in China. You know, once again, uh, this goes back to what you were or I mentioned about snacky where it's like and only an engineer would open it up and compare those two and see the difference <laughs> and then fix it themselves. And then I fixed it instead of returning it. Right, right. Because returning it, I have to wait a week. Yeah, in Houston weather? No, thank you. Yeah, exactly. So I fixed it all. Um, oh, going back to the original problem now, the vacuum leak. So the mode switch wasn't the problem. It's one of my linear, one of my actuators is leaking. Um, fortunately, it was like the one that's easy to fix, and so um, is I it ordered, just drop and replace it? Yeah, it, it's you pull off this little piece of plastic underneath the dash. It's like 
two screws and then there's like an actuator there that you just kind of like pop off. What's what's and, the uh, what's the purpose of the actuator? It pulls the um recirculation door down or up. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's the cabin recirc. Yeah, so I just zip tied it to be all the way recirculation right now and then plug the vacuum hole until I get my new actuator cuz the all the it's so weird. Actuators on that you can buy like even on like Rock Auto and Amazon, like you can like pick your car and it tells you what parts are compatible. They're all wrong for like 1997 and 1998 Jeep Wranglers of my era. Like hmm. they're wrong. Like you, the the they're just not the right part. I don't. I, what I think it is is no one makes that style of actuator anymore. And for some reason, someone just said, "Yeah." Uh, Put those on too. They don't. Good enough. By the way, because I ordered one, it doesn't even fit. It has mm. the wrong arm on it too. So I'm like, well, this is useless. Um, oh, that sucks. But I did find someone who was selling new old stock, um, the original Mopar part, and I was able to order that. These rarely fail. What probably happened is like, because I um, I take my Jeep off roading a lot and and sand, and I bet you some sand got into that rubber joint long long time ago and just finally it just ground itself ground the rubber against the metal uh inside that actuator bit yeah. finally wore through so once i get that new part in and it works i'm just going i'm going to take the old one apart and see if there's sand in it <laughs> that'd be interesting yeah yeah was it, self, it was it a self-inflicted really really slow wound yeah, it, it took like a decade for it to happen. <laughs> right. It's been about a decade since I've driven it into sand. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's just like, because those rarely fail. Um, yeah. It was a lot of fun to figure out why my AC just started suddenly blowing hot. And I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. Wrong. One wrong resistor. That's all it took. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Well, um, so so one last topic um, for today. Back in uh, 2018, right uh, right after I had moved up to Denver, one of the first projects I jumped on was redoing my um, U-Tracer V3, uh, which is a vacuum tube tester. Uh, it's, it connects to the computer and the computer communicates to it and it just does all its jazz and you get a printout of all the plate characteristics and their screen currents and all kinds of lovely jazz on there. Um, so I had somebody give me a, a an amp to fix and I went to test his amp and I was a doofus and I connected two incorrect pins together on my micro tracer and I ended up damaging the, the no which which really sucks it just doesn't doesn't work right now um and uh and so basically i put a high voltage into the the low voltage input and i bet you it's like one or two components that failed uh and i could probably just replace those and maybe one day i will because i got i got a little fancy and i made like a whole relay matrix with all these yeah uh, you could just encoders. like select what Oh, it's slick. It's real slick. Yeah. Um, I, I was real happy with it. However, like the, the the fundamentals of the actual tester have have always been a little bit annoying to me because the old version, the micro tracer UV, uh, the U tracer V three, it went up to four hundred volts and two hundred milliamps, which that might seem like a lot, but for a lot of the kind of stuff I want to test, uh, that's like. If if you think of if you think of the entire uh, transfer characteristics as like an image, that's like the bottom left quarter of the image. I want to see all the rest of the image, but yeah. it just physically isn't enough. So I, I decided like, okay, I've always wanted to go further with it, and I <laughs> and I damaged the tube tester I currently have. So I decided to upgrade, and I bought the U Tracer V6, which this uh, this device now goes instead of. 400 being its maximum it goes all the way up to a thousand volts and it will do uh, a full one amp so it does have an instantaneous one kilowatt output um pulsed i mean it's 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 certainly not going to sustain a, a kilowatt out but it will 
for a, a quick measurement, be able to do a full kilowatt, which being able to go, I'd, I don't need to go all the way out to a thousand volts. 750 would be my absolute top for the kind of stuff I deal with. But being able to go past 200 milliamps is really big from, for what I'm looking to use this for. And on top of that, the, the, this newer version has this additional add on daughter board that connects to it that I purchased that uh, allows you to measure extra currents um, going on in the tube. So grid current and things like that. So for whenever you go into positive grid currents effectively, most of the time you don't, uh, you don't get to measure those and they're difficult to measure. Well, this little daughter board allows you to do that. So like in terms of like, if you think about the old, U Tracer V3 being like a, you know, uh, a low resolution image. This new U Tracer V6 is like HD 4K, 8K. You know, like it's it's. I'm super excited, and it's supposed to arrive tomorrow. So are you going I, to make a fancy box with relays and stuff? I I want to. I very much want to. Um, I'm going to start by just like, you know, playing around with it because mm -hmm. I, I don't need that. At, at the beginning i can just plug directly into its output terminals uh, so i'll play around with that and uh if i'm really satisfied with how everything works then i probably will end up making another relay matrix because first of all that project was fun and then at the end like it ended up being like a really useful product yeah uh, that i use on a pretty regular basis so so that was so that was episode 135 the hamster that chirps that you finished that project on it's it's so useful. I literally have it right here next to my desk. So um, how did you? Is it because of what you chose on your knobs? I, I I did not provide any protection inside of the device to allow the user to connect two things together. Like yeah. I just always ran on like I've never done it, and I know what not to connect, and then I accidentally did it once. Yeah, and uh, so I connected. God, what was it? I connected something to the cathode, uh, so, uh, like I think probably the anode to the cathode of of this, which means I put like 350 volts as a dead short uh, into this thing. <laughs> so like uh, yeah, and and and, and it, like it's pulsed, so like it's very very small amounts yeah. of, of power to go through, but just enough that whatever is is on the cathode reading stuff probably just punched a hole through it. So yeah. one of these days I'll probably crack this guy open and and go and and. Um, fix it but then the newer one is superior in like every possible way so well, i'll probably it's just double take as this good design. It, it's more than double as good well it's v6 first oh. v3 <laughs> yeah, double right. as good yeah you're right so um i need to uh, the thing about it is i would go and uh, completely redo the entire enclosure because the pcb is fully different okay uh so everything's different about it and, uh, so how did you control the relays in that? Are they directly controlled by the switches? Uh, STM. I have an STM with, that drives a huge string of 7595s. Oh, you could have been wrote in protection. <laughs> You're right. You're right. I absolutely could have. So if you do the protection. project in the future, that's what you have to do, though. You have to, yeah. You have to write yeah. in. Yeah. Dummy protection. Dummy Don't be protection. an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, or, no, you're, you're totally right. Flash I, on that screen. I, are you sure? Are you question mark? <laughs> really? For sure. Do you sure? want to play a game? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's kind of sad because like that's one of my nice pieces of test gear that's just like completely non-functional now. Yeah. The the one thing that's really nice is the client that I have that I burned up the my tester testing his tubes. I was like, hey will you be willing to wait for me to buy a whole new tube tester, build the whole new tube tester, and then test your tubes? And he's like, yeah, sure, fine. So he's been waiting forever. His stuff is sitting on this this desk back behind me for months now. So, But but actually, he uh, one of the reasons uh, I'm getting this is, is to be able to test his tubes because he had a massive fault in his amp, and uh, his tubes are incredibly expensive to replace. So I would rather have a tube tester that can tell me the answers uh, instead of telling him, hey, here's the bill for a whole new set of tubes. Well, my old tube tester just didn't even go far enough to be able to uh, get the answer. So this new one, uh, that's one of the impetus. At the same time, I kind of just, I've always wanted one of these. It's just, 
I needed I needed a reason to justify spending the money because they're not cheap. They're not like mm-hmm. unbelievably expensive, but uh, if I always had a tube tester that could get me eighty percent of the way there, do I really need that last twenty percent? The answer is yes. Now, yep. <laughs> so apparently, the last thing before we close this podcast is uh, they've been uploading transcripts. Uh, automated AI transcripts of our podcasts to some of these older episodes. And I noticed that this episode from episode 135, the hamster that chirps, like, uh, has that transcript. And so I'm like, okay, where did we come up with the hamster that chirps? Because um, we always come up with really weird titles for the podcasts. And apparently I was, at the time... Um, Reverse engineering the door chime on the Wagoneer. Remember that? Oh my gosh! Yeah, you pulled that whole module out, and the it was module all like, part, and then it's weird and crusty. The whole thing. Yeah. yeah, and I fixed it, and it, by the way, it still works great. Um, and I actually like activated it on the podcast, and yeah. you were like, um, <laughs> I, I can't, I don't know who's saying who because it just says like host three, host two, host one. You know, we only had two people on the podcast. <laughs> um, uh, oh, because you were describing the enclosure. Um, it says it's a blue box that has a handful of holes on it. And then the bottom side, there are tabs that looks like it's for hamsters just to breathe right. Yeah, yeah. The little hamsters that chirps wouldn't adore, which doesn't make any sense. <laughs> which is also it's an AI doing a transcribing. Were, um, were we doing that? Uh, what year was that? Oh, you were in uh, you were in Denver. Okay, okay. So, so okay. I wasn't sure if this was if we were like next to each other in the bomb shelter or whatnot. No, no, because this is when you finished the U Tracer three. Oh, duh. Yeah, yeah. Of course. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, I'm just looking at it on a video screen, just trying to guess what it is. Yeah, but just like. And I said something about like hamster. Well, yeah, when it, the, it's not working, it does sound like a hamster dying inside there, or something <laughs> like that. That was a, that was like a little analog transistor um, implementation that like you you what you applied a voltage and then it just like oscillated or something like that. Yeah, it had a couple. Um, basically, yeah, it had like an, just an oscillator through. I think it was like a ring circuit. Um, let's see. There's a there's an inverter and then an AND gate, um, yeah, and it so it makes some kind of oscillator and that makes the tone, hmm. and there's like a weird metal speaker thingy on it. Sounds inexpensive. Probably was. What's PISA driver? Oh, push pull transistor amplifier. That's right. Had a push pull like two trans a, a NPN and a PNP transistor set up to like pulse the speaker. Hmm. And yeah, at one point I knew exactly how that module worked, and now I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> Your module now is part of the uh gosh, what is it like the ancient Chinese uh what did you used to call it? Like the oh uh, ancient Chinese semiconductors. Yeah, that's it. Like now you have to go and like Indiana Jones figure out your own. Uh, I have a schematic circuits. somewhere. Yeah, you you made an eagle schematic, or did didn't you like make a board for it? No, or did no, you just I, fix that one? I fixed it, yeah. um, and I reverse engineered it with the help of actually the Slack channel. Um, uh, Tom Anderson actually like I I drew out the whole schematic. And then Tom Anderson's like, oh, I recognize how all these parts are supposed to go and like rearranged everything to be like, oh, now it looks like a schematic that you can read. <laughs> I just like <laughs> I just put all the parts down and just connected everything together. And then I like and since it's all analog, I'm like, I have no idea what I'm looking at. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, Tom Anderson just like rearranged it and he's like, oh, yeah. And I'm like, now I can read it. Yeah. So. Shout out to Tom Anderson. He was on what podcast was he on? That was last year. 
Uh, episode 230, uh, no, 293. Yeah. Uh, Tom Anderson was on the podcast. Go check out that episode um, as well. Man, we're name dropping all three episodes this this, uh, this, this episode. And the SSPS, man, this is this is a big one. Yeah. All right, let's wrap this thing up. Okay, so that was the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We were your host, Stephen Craig. And Parker Doman. Take it easy. Thank you, yes you, our listener, for downloading our podcast. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic, let Parker and I know. Tweet us at Macrofab, at Longhorn Engineer, or at Analog ENG, or email us at podcast at macrofab.com. Also check out our Slack channel. You can find it at macrofab.com slash slack.